Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us today. If you're watching online, thanks for worshiping as well. This last week, if you were here, you know that we started a new series called The Practices of Grace. We started the year, the new year, with a series on the power of grace and then have shifted last week to the practices of grace. And we'll talk more about what that means here in just a moment. But it's essential that we understand the key word, which is grace. And in order to understand grace, you need to understand that it is central to all, to all, of, all of what we're going to be talking about. The word grace really means the love that God has for us, that He um, bestows on us, that it's, and it has nothing to do with anything that we've earned or deserve. It's just God loves us because He loves us. That's God's grace. It's important that we get that. And it's important that we get that because um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the way that you came into a relationship with, with God through Christ is through grace by faith. It's, it's not anything that you've done, but it's simply saying, God, I trust you and your grace. That's how we come into faith. But at the same time we are initiated into the Christian life by grace, we also continue in the Christian life by grace. And this is why it's important to understand because many people get stuck there. They think, okay, by, gra- by grace I come into a relationship with God. And then they think to themselves, I've got to somehow figure out how to grow in God. And they think it's all about themselves, what we do, what we got to muster up in order to be more spiritual and to grow in God. And miss the fact that God himself has given us resources, tools to help us grow by his grace. And so what we're focused on in the next, this series here is the practices, those, those resources, those tools that God has given us by his grace so that we can grow in him. And it's so important that we get that because all of us want to grow and all of us want to change. Last week, if you were here, you know that I told you that the experts say that you're not likely to change. And it gets worse. The experts also say you don't want to change. But let me remind you again what Jesus says. Jesus says, I can change you. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Jesus can change us. In fact, we looked at how he wants to change us, and part of the mechanism for that, of course, is the the key mechanism is his grace, but we looked at Titus chapter 2 verse 14, which talks about these commitments that we can be involved in to align ourselves with God's purpose and plan to change us. So let me just show you Titus chapter 2 verse 14. It says this, talking about Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So wrapped up in this verse are those three core commitments that I talked about last week. Let me remind remind you of those um, real quickly today. The first one is this, that God can bring change when we are committed to discipleship. That is what we, we simply put, say, God, I need your help. I need to follow you. Rather than follow my plan or the world's plan, I just need your help. And that's the beginning place for change. Have you ever tried to help someone change that does not want help? It's very difficult, isn't it? So the beginning point for us to be aligned with God and his plan to transform us and change us is to simply say, help. I need to follow you. And it's this, that's, the, that's the, that core commitment that's so important. Then built on that is the, the, the um, concept of worship. And that's the hope. It says in this passage that Jesus gave himself for us. It's not, our hope isn't what we give to God. 
um, what we can bring. It's that he gave himself for us. That's where hope is. It's in him and his power and what he's done for us, his grace alone. That's the hope component. But then, of course, with that is fellowship, that word fellowship, which um, we simply described as home. That is that God has made a people his very own, that we would grow together with people who can authentically and, 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 and honestly live with one another and say, hey, we're not perfect, but together we want to encourage each other to follow Jesus. And so our hope for you here at South Hills Church is that you would say, I can find fellowship here, that I'm not alone, that I don't have to be a Christian without a church. A Christian without a church is it's like an orphan without a family. And so you coming here and saying, I'm part of a church says, okay, I'm home. I can be in a place with other people who are imperfect and have, have, have sadness, grief, all the things, all those things. And yet together we can say, God, you're our hope and we're looking to you for help. And that's where we say, okay, home. And again, that's why I'm such a big fan of groups. You're here in a big group. We love that. We also have lots of smaller groups so that you can grow deeper in fellowship. We have groups for children. We have groups for youth. We have groups for young adults. We have groups for women. We have groups for men. Opportunities for you to grow deeper in community, in fellowship with other people so that you can grow. This last week, uh, Lisa and I had a chance to meet with our life group. And I'll tell you, it is the highlight of our week, meeting with other people. Because my role here at, at, at South Hills isn't just to be a pastor, to, have a, to fill a function. My role is to be in fellowship with people and to be connected with people. Because guess what? We need it too. We need to be with God's people so we can grow, so we can be encouraged, so that we can say, hey, we're together with a bunch of flawed individuals just like us, and we're committed to say, let's follow Jesus. Let's learn what it means to say, God, we need your help, we need hope, and we have a home with people who are trying to follow you together. It's so important, and it's an important thing for us to get once we get all those things, then the question is, okay, what are those tools, those resources, those practices that God has given us by his grace that we can rally around and say, this is what God has granted to us in his grace to help us grow. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and in the weeks to come. But today I want to talk about the business of confession, confession, the resource, the tool, the uh, practice of God's grace that he's given to us through the practice of confession. And there's a great verse in the New Testament that talks about confession and the great benefit of it. It's 1 John 1, 9. Perhaps you've heard it before. Let me read it for you. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a fantastic verse? We have a God who is ready to forgive. We have a God who's faithful, who wants to purify us and cleanse us to transform us. But what's the condition to receiving all that forgiveness and the cleansing, the transformation that he wants to bring? Well, it's right there. It says, if, what? If we confess, then we can receive God's full forgiveness, God's transforming power. So the question is, well, what's, why is this the confession thing here? And this is important, that we recognize full forgiveness is experienced when we confess. That is the, that's the starting point. Say, so yeah, acknowledge my sin, and then we can experience it. But here's the problem. As people, we don't like to confess our sin, do we? It's hard. What we want to do is we want to cover it up. We want to hide it. We want to decorate it. We want to do all sorts of things, but we do not want to deal with our sin. And that has started, by the way, from the very beginning of time. 
Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They hid. And when you want sin, we do the same things. And it started early for us, not just from the beginning of time, but early in our life. When we sin, we want to hide. We want to cover up. Today, I, I thought I'd just share with you kind of a funny video of a little girl who was caught eating chocolate cake but had a hard time confessing it. So go ahead and take a look. Tell me what you need to do. Do you need to wash your hands? Did you eat cake? No. You didn't have any cake? No. <laughs> what have you been eating? Nothing. Nothing. You haven't had a single bit of cake. You had some cake? You did. You ate cake? Are you funny? <laughs> what? Are you funny? Am I funny? I think you're the funny one. Did you eat cake? Nope. nope. Why do you need to wash your hands? My hands are sticky. Why are, you, why are your hands sticky? And they come from the floor. How did they get sticky? Your hands got sticky from the floor? Let me see your hands. Sticky is from the cake. <laughs> it's from the cake? You've been eating cake? Uh -huh. Why did you lie and tell me you didn't eat cake? Here, here's some soap. I think you better wash your face, too. Pretty relatable, isn't it? It's not just something we do when we're kids. It's something we continue to do. We want to cover up. We want to hide. And yet we have a heavenly Father who says, I want to cleanse you. I want to transform you. And you saw that back and forth. She's like, I want to confess, but not really. Right? It's just this, this wrestling match. And if we understand that, it's super relatable. But here's the good news. When we confess, God stands ready to forgive, to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise that he gives to us. But the challenge for us, again, is learning to practice confession, to practice it, to have that be a part of our expression and our growth with God so that we can experience the fullness of his forgiveness and the growth that he has for us in his transforming power. And in order to help us understand confession, there's really no one probably more qualified to teach us about confession than King David. If you're familiar with King David, he is probably the most famous of all the kings of ancient Israel. And um, he's really famous for a great reason. He was a very powerful, well-known, highly respected spiritual king. And yet if you know the story, you also know that at one point in, in David's reign, the height of his power, he had a great fall. If you know David's story, you know that it, at one point he uh, saw another woman who was married to another man. She, he lusted after her. And then that lust continued to manifest itself. And ignoring all warnings, he has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, who's married, by the way, to one of the guys in David's army. Well, after the affair, Turns out she gets pregnant. And in order to hide the affair and now the pregnancy, David does something terrible. 
he tries to cover it up, and by covering it up, he has her husband, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed in order to cover it up. Well, his plan, it, it happened. He was, he was killed, and he then brings Bathsheba into uh, his house. He marries her, and he thinks to himself, I've done it. I've covered the sin. I've hidden it. I've got it, I've got it taken care of. But what he forgot is we can't hide our sins from God. He sees it all. He knows it all. And the consequences of our sin are still there. And so God sends to David, Nathan, the prophet, who points out the sin. And it's at that point, after David's been hiding, covering up, trying to to avoid it, that he comes to a point where he's conscience stricken and he realizes, yep, I've sinned. And he confesses his sin to God and he experiences real forgiveness and restoration. You can read about his prayer to God in Psalm 51, where he experienced that forgiveness. He prays to God, and he experienced the forgiveness and transformation because he confesses. And as part of that psalm, Psalm 51, he says, and I will teach others about confession. And really what we're going to look at today is, is I think, him being good on his word. Because we're going to look at Psalm 32, where he teaches on the subject of confession. In fact, in all of Scripture, there's not a greater single passage that comprehensively helps us understand uh, the business of confession, the importance of confession, and how to practice it in our lives. And so we were going to look at this passage found in Psalm 32, um, where David teaches and he talks to us about uh, uh, the business of confession. So what I want to do, if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to look for Psalm 32. If you're not quite sure where it is, it's really right in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. Um, so find that. If you don't have your Bible or the passage, you can look at the, the um, handout you received on your way in here. It has the passage printed for you. But once you find that, let's stand, please, together, and we'll read this, uh, this song that David uh, wrote together. Psalm 32 says this of David, a masculine. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous sing, all you who are upright in heart. Okay, go Go ahead and have a seat. We'll look at it together. We'll we'll work our way through this. Um, Just beginning, and I I put the title here for you so you can see it. It says Psalm 32. It's of David, and it says it's a masculine. This is part of the, the title, the inscription that's given to it. And the word masculine is the, comes from the Hebrew verb um, to give insight. 
And so the point is this, that, that David's saying this is an insightful psalm. This is a psalm that's meant to instruct, that's meant to help you give, get insight into this, this, the meaning of confession. That's what it's about. Now, the question then that we might have, and what we'll do is kind of break this psalm out with questions and the answer that David gives. But the question that you might have right off the top is this, you know, what it happens when I confess? What happens when I confess? And to answer that, the, if you want to fill in the blank in your notes, it's this, there's a blessing of forgiveness. When we, when we confess, we experience the blessing of forgiveness. This is verses 1 and 2. Let me read it for you. It says this, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, And then it goes on, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. So he begins by saying, listen, what's the point? Why forgive? What what do we get out of it? It's this, that we experience the blessing of forgiveness. So David, right off out of the gate, says, here's the great outcome, forgiveness. The great outcome that you experience from your confession of your sin, and he uses several different words to describe sin. He talks about wickedness. This is rebellion. This is where we know the line, and we say, I'm going to intentionally cross it. He says, well, blessed is the person who's, who, whose um, sins are forgiven, whose wickedness is, is forgiven. Then he says, he uses the word sin, that, that's the word for missing the mark. That is, even if we're not actively rebelling and trying to cross the line, that we still find ourselves falling short. And, that, and that's part of it, too, that we can confess that, those things, the intentional and unintentional realities of our sin. And then he, he talks about blessed is the person who has no deceit. That is, what we try to do is we cover it up and we carry that with us. But blessed is the person that doesn't have that anymore. He's not trying to cover up and try to hide all of their sin. He said the blessing from all of this is the fact that you can receive forgiveness. And he said Blessed, blessed, blessed. Happy is the person who experienced forgiveness through confession. And you say, well, that's great, but you don't know how hard it is to confess sin. And I'm like, I get it. It is hard to confess sin. Why do you think it is that David struggled with it so long? It's not that he wasn't spiritual. This guy wrote Bible, okay? It's not that he didn't know that God was forgiving. He's written Psalms about God's forgiveness, So it's not that he didn't know all of those things. It's just hard to do. Well, the question then becomes, well, um, if that's the outcome, I get forgiveness. What happens if I don't confess? That's the second question. What happens when I don't confess? And he gives an answer to that question because for many of us, it's like, I don't want to. Well, what happens if you don't? What's the the outcome of that? And this is where he talks in verse 3 and 4 about the burden of unconfessed sin. The burden of unconfessed sin sin. Let me read it for you. It says this in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So what he's talking about here is the the heavy burden, the cost of not uh, going to God with confession. And there is a price to it. There is a cost to not confessing our sins. And this is what he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's saying my whole body hurt, is what he's talking about. Physically, I was in pain. And he says, um, through my groaning all day long, that is, there's an emotional side of him, the groaning, and there's an emotional pain that he experienced. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. There's a depression that comes, a weight that he felt. 
And he says, um, your strength has sapped me. That is, I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. I feel lethargic because of it. And I'm sapped as in the heat of summer. So the, again, the cost, he's using images and imagery to help us understand the cost. But let me show you the cost right here. The cost of unconfessed sin, just to summarize, this is what David's talking about. There's physical and emotional pain. When we, we, we have unconfessed sin in our life, there's depression. Again, like I said, he just he feels that, that heavy weight. Perhaps you feel that. There's exhaustion and there's strained and broken relationship. These are the symptoms. These are the symptoms that many people carry and bear as a result of unconfessed sin in their lives. This is all that David described. And for many people, and I'll just say this, um, there's probably countless millions of people who live life under this condition because they're unwilling to come to God and confess their sin. They've accepted this as their normal because the price feels, it just is so difficult. So they're willing to bear the price, to burden themselves with the cost of unconfessed sin in their life. And because many people get stuck here They get trapped, and these are all the symptoms that they feel and all the symptoms they face, and they've accepted them as normal. Uh, David stops in the, let me just show you that verse, the next verse. He says this, sila. And that that word sila means pause, stop right here. And it's very likely just a a musical expression to stop, rest. And I think it's important because I think David is saying, let this sink in. Yes, here's the blessing that you can have by confessing your sins to God. But then here's the cost, and let that sink in. Let the cost sink in. Consider it. Are you willing, are you okay carrying that burden, continuing to have all these symptoms manifest themselves in your life? He's saying, think about it. Really stop and consider it because many people have accepted it. And he's saying, don't accept it. This is what you will receive, the cost, the price, the burden of having unconfessed sin in your life. Well, then he goes on. And there's the next question. Well, if you're ready to confess, then, well, okay, if I don't want that burden anymore, if I want to like, not have that cost, all those symptoms, how do I confess? And this is verse 5, which is really the key to the whole verse, because he tells us how to confess. Look what he says. If you want to fill in the blank, it's this. It's breaking the bond of guilt. That's what these next, this next verse is about. It really is uh, the key verse to this passage. He says this. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let me just highlight a few things. He says, beginning, he says, then I acknowledged my sin. It comes, it begins. How do we break the the bond of guilt? How do we confess? It starts by just simply acknowledging, yes, I'm sinful. Yes, I've broken the law. Yes, I have crossed the line. God, I've gone my own way. I've rebelled against you. God, I've fallen short of the the mark that you've made for me. And so it's just an acknowledgement of that. Acknowledging it's the beginning spot. I remember at a a point in my life where I was meeting with a friend and I um, confessed to him. I said, man, I am a really sinful person. And my friend, I'm looking for sympathy, support. He looks me in the eyes and he says, guess what, Scott? That's just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) 
I'm like, oh, thanks. That helps me a whole lot. He's like, it's way deeper than you think. You see this presenting sin in your life. Guess what? There's a whole much more that you don't even see or know or it's all there. So the point being, yes, just acknowledging, yep, I'm sinful. Yes, I'm broken. And that's the beginning point. So he's saying, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover it up. I stopped trying to cover it up, hide it. The hands with the chocolate, <laughs> I said, okay, finally, this is from cake, right? I just acknowledge it instead of it's the floor, instead of whatever it is that I've gotten myself into trying to stop and hide. It's just, I acknowledge it. Sticky hands, it's from cake that I've been eating, right? That's the whole point. Acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover it up. The covering up thing is very easy for us to do. Many of us want to cover it up. We want to dress it up. We want to decorate it. We want to somehow excuse it. And there's a lot of yeah, but confessors out there. People who say, yeah, I did that. Yeah, but, right? You just followed up with that. Yes, I said that. Yeah, but, and we try to make the excuse. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. It's a, it's a confession with a yeah, but with it. And basically, David's saying, stop it. Just say, yeah, I did it. And not the but part of it afterwards. But just recognize I'm not trying to cover it up. I'm not going to try to hide it. I acknowledge it, God. I'm not trying to cover it up and hide it from you, my iniquity. Then he says, I will confess. I will confess. And this is, this is a confession is just coming to God and saying, I agree with you and what you said. I agree that this sin is, is damaging and it's hurtful to you and to others and to me. And I just agree, I confess it. I come and I bring it to you in agreement that I have sinned against you. That's confession. But notice what confession is not. And I just think this is important. Confession leads to forgiveness. But I think for some, t- some of us, confession takes on some different, uh, we take some different approaches when it comes to confession. We come to God and we think, okay, in order to get forgiveness from God, I've got to beg. And I've got to come and I get on my knees, please, 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 God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Beg, 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 beg. You ever been there, done that? And you feel like if you beg, he'll finally forgive you. You can just twist his arm enough, then somehow he'll be like, all right, fine, I, I forgive you. But that's not what confession is. Confession is just simply saying, I don't need to beg. I just need to agree with you. I just confess, this is what I've done. That's confession, not begging. The other thing that I think we tend to do with God when we want forgiveness or we realize we need forgiveness is we try to bargain with him. God, if you forgive me, then, and we fill in the blank. If you forgive me, then I'll never have bad thoughts again in my life, right? And we try to come up with a bargain statement that somehow he'll say, now I'll forgive you. That's not what confession is either. Confession, again, is not begging. It's not bargaining. It's just simply saying, God, you're right, and I agree with you. I'm confessing to you my sin. I'm acknowledging it. I'm not covering it up. I'm bringing it to you. Here's my sticky hands. That's it. You get it? That's what confession is. And he says, then, then my transgressions, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and then guess what? I love this part. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't that great? When we confess, he forgives the guilt of our sin. I love that little girl. She's, her mom's like, okay, let's wash those hands now. Let's get it cleaned. And that's what God does with us. He says, hey, ready to clean you up. Uh, there's no more signs of it. I'm trying to, I want to break you free. I want to take the guilt away. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing what God does. And I know, here's the deal. I know that sometimes we, uh, confession, which is agreeing with God, 
um, that we've sinned. But sometimes, and we're like, okay, that's what it is, but sometimes we struggle with the fact that, okay, God, you've forgiven me, but I'm really having a hard time forgiving myself. Have you ever been there before? There's the guilt, there's the burden, and you're like, I just struggle forgiving myself. Listen, if God has forgiven you, whose opinion matters more, yours or his? Because if you think it's yours, you have some more confessing to do. You get that? And if God says, listen, you confess, I forgive you. The guilt is gone. We say, okay, God, I trust you. Your word prevails over my own. And we got to just get that deep into our heart. David says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then the word sila again, pause. Let that sink in. This is how we confess. This is the benefit of confession. This was what God offers to us um, and when we come to him in confession. But then the question then becomes, well, you know, what, how, how, how quickly should I come and pray? How, when should I come and confess? And so the next question is, when should you confess? And the answer to that is right away. Be quick about it. That's the next two verses. Um, in verses six and seven, be quick to confess in prayer. Be quick to confess in prayer. Don't wait. Don't delay. Go quickly when you recognize, yep, there's sin in my life. I need to come quickly to you in prayer. Let me read for you what it says. It says, therefore, let all, who, uh, all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Um, just stop for a moment there. So quick pray while God's still in the neighborhood, right? That's what, he, that's what he's saying. But let me just help you understand something here. It's not quick pray because God's moving away. It's quick pray because you may move away. Do you get that? God's there. He says, hey, I'm, I'm faithful and, and to, to forgive you for your sins. I'll, I'll cleanse you. He's there. He doesn't move. But what we do is we move. And so in the moment of clarity, in the moment you say, ah, I've sinned. I know I've messed up. In that moment, be quick to pray that we come to him so that we don't miss the opportunity and go on um, with unconfessed sin and we, we built up a cover-up story and a, you know, an alternate reality and we find ourselves alienated from God further and from other people. That's what he wants us to avoid. So be quick in prayer. Go fast. And it says in that verse there, it says, and, and all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. So the question is, how are faithful people supposed to pray? How are godly su- people supposed to pray? I'll tell you, they're supposed to pray and confession regularly. If you're faithful, you confess. Godly people regularly confess. This is why we're calling it the practices of grace. That is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We practice confession. That we regularly confess. That we come to God quickly in prayer and confession. When I was a kid, I grew up in the church, and some of you who grew up in the church, maybe you are familiar with this, but I had, there was a little acronym that was given um, to me as a child to help guide me in prayer, to, you know, help me know, you know, what are some things that I need to pray for. It's a very helpful acronym. It's the acronym ACTS. Have you ever seen that before? ACTS. And the, the idea with that is to kind of guide you through prayer. And so with that, with ACTS, there's the, these words, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Lots of big words, but basically, you know, recognize God and adore Him, praise Him, thank Him, confession, um, and then there's thanksgiving, supplication, is then, and finally, you bring your request to God. And it's helpful because typically what we tend to do is 
our request first, and then, hey, thanks at the end, right? So it's a helpful tool. But I have wondered sometimes if acts shouldn't be um, different. It shouldn't be, if it shouldn't be cats instead. And I won't hang here too long, or else you're going to think I like cats or something. But I do wonder at times if we should just simply say, God, I need to address the elephant in the room before I do anything else. And the elephant in the room is, I'm a sinful person. And I've blown it. I need to confess it. Now let's have a conversation that can go somewhere. But until we confess and come clean, it's very difficult to have a conversation with, 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 with uh, someone. And so I just wonder if it maybe shouldn't be cats, just something for you to think about. That's free. Um, just thought I'd share that with you. All right. All right. So um, again, Going back to the verse, I'll just show you this. It says this. Once we, again, we're to pray faithfully to you while you may be found. And then with that, there's this protection that we, that we receive too. Surely the rising of the mighty, water, mighty waters will not reach them. Um, verse 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Here's the good news. When we confess and we do it quickly, those things that held us captive don't have to hold us captive any longer that God can deliver us, that God can protect us. But that's why we come and we practice confession regularly so that he can say, hey, that doesn't control you anymore. You can live differently. Let me protect you. Let me deliver you. This is what he offers to us, which is so great. Then the question then becomes, okay, well, what does God do for the person who truly confesses? What does God do for the person who truly confesses? If you truly confess, here's what God does. He opens the door for you to become someone that he can use. And so this is the next two verses. We become, or on the way of becoming someone that God can use. On the way of becoming someone that God can use. And here's David continuing. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. This is David talking. And you're thinking to yourself, David, how are you going to instruct me? You're the guy who blew it. Are you going to instruct me on how to, you know, sin with other women? Is that what you're going to instruct me on? David, are you going to, are you going to instruct me on how to really cover up your sin by murdering somebody? Is that the counsel that you're going to give to me? So this is, this is, but here he is, he's now at a point of confession, and he's confessed his sins, he's come to God, he's been, been forgiven the guilt of his sin, now finally he's in a position where he can give counsel, where he can give instruction. And this is an important thing for us to get to. We can then be used by God when we get uh, when we allow him to forgive us, we come, we come clean, we confess. He then can use us to counsel and care for others. And listen to his instruction, verse 9. Again, by the way, he is not coming from a high position at this point. He says, do not be like the horse or the mule. Who do you think he's talking about right now? He's like, don't be like me. I'm a jackass, so don't, don't be like me, which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and brittle or they will not come to you. He's not coming from a high position. He's coming from a lowered position. He's saying, hey, can I say that in church, by the way? I did it anyway. I don't know. He just said, this is me. I've blown it. And I think that in, in the, the process of learning, there's two paths you can take. You can take the path of wisdom or you can take the path of knocks. He took the path of hard knocks, didn't he? And he's now at this point where he can say, guess what? Um, I have something to share with you because I blew it. I, I've, I experienced the cost, the deep price that was paid by unconfessed sin, and, and I don't want you to go through it. 
And there's something beautiful about someone who, not coming from a high position, but from a, from a, a humble ground level position to say, learn from me, listen from me, go to God while you can. This is so great. This is why I love recovery ministries. If you were to go to an AA group, you know, with me, what, how would you start the meeting? You start by saying, hi, I'm Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. You, you, you get that? That's where it starts, and it just kind of lowers the playing field. I'm there. Now you can listen, and I may have something that you can learn from or glean from my experiences, maybe the experience of hard knocks. What if we tried that in church? What if instead of greeting people and saying hi to each other, you just greet people and you say, hi, my name's Scott, and I'm a pathetic sinner? It just, just start there, okay? It, it kind of would change the atmosphere, right? You'd be like, oh, wow, okay. But that's the whole point. David's saying, simply saying, listen, I need forgiveness. I needed God's grace, and I found it through confession. And guess what? I'm here to instruct you, to teach you, to go to God to pray regularly, make this a part of your practice so that you can experience His grace as well. Then the final thing that I want you to see is this is maybe perhaps the most important thing. Why is it that we can confess and be sure that God can be counted on to forgive us? Why is it that we can confess and be sure that God's going to forgive us? Grace. Amen. Look at this. Look what it says here in the final two verses. It says this, we can rejoice because of God's grace. It's all because of God's grace. Let me read to you what it says in verse 10. It says this, Many are the woes of the wicked. That is all of us. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. The word unfailing love there is the Hebrew word chesed, which means his, 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 the Old Testament word for grace. It's God's unfailing love, his grace that has shown to us. This is how we can have hope. This is how we can rejoice. It's all because of His grace to the one who trusts in Him and His power and all that He has done for us. Verse 11 closes this way. It says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all who are upright in heart. What a great psalm because it teaches us again about God's grace. Let me remind you of that great verse in the New Testament. It says this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is God's grace. And may we be a people who practice the, the resource that God has given us by His grace of confession so that we can experience His forgiveness and His transforming power in our life. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. As we come into this time of prayer. I just, this is a moment between you and God. And maybe this is a moment for you where you're here and you recognize you're in a place where you have been um, running, rebelling, um, covering up, hiding. You've, you're held captive, but you're ready to be set free. That you recognize the high cost, the burden of unconfessed sin. But today you're here and you're ready to receive God's forgiveness. Listen, it begins by taking the steps that David shares with us. It's acknowledging your sin. And maybe for you today, right now, it's just saying, God, before you, for the first time, maybe I just, I just need to acknowledge it. Acknowledge it all. I'm not trying to cover it up any longer. I need to confess it to you. That I've sinned against you. I've wronged others. 
and I need your forgiveness and grace. You pray that prayer in faith. God will forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the good news. For some of you here, you've already prayed a prayer of faith to receive God's grace for the first time. But it doesn't mean that we still don't need to practice confession on a regular basis. And maybe you're here today and just simply need to say, God, I need to come back to you and confess. Confess that I've been doing it on my own. Confess that I've been tripped up, trapped, trying to cover it up, hide it, and I just need to come clean before you again today. I need your power, your grace to transform me. You pray that prayer. He'll hear you. He'll respond. God, again, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for um, this great psalm that teaches us so much about the gift, the practice of confessing and the gift that we can receive by your grace, the forgiveness, the breaking the bond of guilt in our life. Lord, we're thankful to you for that. We're thankful for the sacrifice of your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be set free. God, we thank you in your name. Amen. As we close out in our time in worship, we are also going to spend some time celebrating um, in communion. And so hopefully you receive this communion cup on your way in here. And I'll just um, say a few things before we start. I'll just simply say this. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here and you're saying, I'm just still trying to understand, I'm still trying to seek God, I haven't uh, fully put my faith in Him yet, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Our hope and desire is that as you continue to seek Him, that you'll experience the promise that He offers to you, which if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. But if you're here and you're saying, I'm just not there yet, then I just, I just want to um, invite you to let these elements pass um, because we can wait until you put your faith in Jesus because then these elements take on a very significant meaning. Um, but without the faith in Jesus Christ, it's, it's really not much of a meal. It's actually a pretty pathetic meal. So you can just let this pass. But if you are here and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is a very significant meal. Because Jesus, in his final days with his disciples, he broke bread and he distributed the cup and he invited the followers then and now to use this as a moment to remember his sacrifice for us, what he has done. And so it's very, very meaningful for those who have expressed and their placed their faith in Christ. And so I just want to invite you to begin with the, the bread. And it's on the bottom of that cup. If you need to know where it is, it's there. But Jesus, when he was with his disciples on that, that kind of final meal, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken and given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then there's the cup. The cup is so significant because it reminds us that we, um, all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. But it also reminds us that we can keep coming to experience His forgiveness. Many of you have experienced God's grace and forgiveness when you trusted Him for the first time. But this cup reminds us that we can keep coming back and keep experiencing his grace and his goodness, his transforming power.
this is what he's done for us. So again, let's drink and all for all that God's done for us. Let's continue to worship together.